Welcome to Screen Quest, the podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? And May Finch. Hello, hello. On today's episode, we're talking about the role of a lifetime, specifically Margot Robbie in I, Tanya. Very excited to get into this. This was my first time seeing it. We'll also be playing a little game around that specific topic. More to come on that. And of course, drawing a side card. But first, our least favorite segment for an opener, but one that is important. We are memorializing both Paul Rubens and William Freakin, who passed away since we last recorded the episode. Two very different men with very different careers, but both geniuses in their own way. Uh, Rubens, of course, you probably know uh, most famously as Pee Wee Herman, although he had a lot of really interesting character work throughout his career. And William Freakin, we've talked about at least once uh, on this podcast, uh, specifically our Halloween offshoot Scream Quest as a director of The Exorcist, The French Connection, Sorcerer, and many, many other films. So RIP to both of those gentlemen. I just rewatched Pee Wee's Big Adventure for the first time since I was probably like 10 or 11. Marianne had never seen it. So I was like, it's going right on because it is wonderfully Burton and just uh, an amazing PB Herman film. Have you both seen that? I think so, but it's been ages. I have not. My my childhood viewing was limited. So (laughs) I think I need to go and finally watch it. God, it's so zany and like I just um man like like he's so singular in it as you would imagine with that character but you mash up the character of Pee Wee Herman with Tim Burton's like just twisted wild imagination and you have an amazing creation I mean really top to bottom there's so many memorable parts to it um some of it's a little dated like the celebrity cameos and stuff like I don't know how many people these days would know like who Twisted Sister or D Snyder is like, you know, just by sight, but whatever. Um, but it is a really fun uh, movie. And I think like a little more adult than I remembered or probably picked up on as a, as a kid, which is always fun to come back to. Yeah, it's nice getting that second layer of jokes that were made for your parents. <laughs> yeah, it got away with a lot more in the 80s. Let me tell you, like, I feel like then some some movies do that. There was no PG-13, I guess, until... 84 so maybe that's why as well like you could kind of push the envelope the uh, mpa couldn't say it was r but <laughs> i'm sure they didn't love some of the stuff that made it into uh to the films but yeah i highly recommend that one and uh i i oddly enough i don't think i watched much peewee's playhouse was that something that was in your household at all may or like same thing like nope yeah yeah i uh how would you describe the style of humor because i'm trying to think like why my parents have objected um well uh, it's hard to kind of categorize it so peewee is like overly joyous but also incredibly weird and like zany like it was probably too happy that must have been it (laughs) (laughs) i just know that i had a friend whose parents like resented the show not because they objected to any of the content but there was like a secret word of the day that like every time somebody said it like you were supposed to scream and they had like a household of three children so like (laughs) they'd be at dinner and all of a sudden all the kids would scream like loudly and like scare the shit out of the 
the parents. So that's an idea, I guess, of what the humor was like or what the content of the show would have been like. Man, I missed out. <laughs> I loved how like queer coded the um, Tim Burton movie is. And I was like, am I imagining this? And like, no, man, I went down the rabbit hole um, of mm-hmm. both Paul Rubin's like personal life. And then also like how P.B. Herman was sort of claimed as like a queer icon, um, you know, uh, certainly like after the movie like came out for a while like it's one of those things that's just like gotten more and more attention as time has gone on which is really really cool but um yeah uh and then of course william Friedkin. i'll admit i've only seen two of his films i think which is the exorcist and french connection mm-hmm. um but i know our film group is gonna watch uh, a little like um a couple of buddies that i've been watching some movies with uh sorcerer is the movie that's been nominated next because none of us have seen it and it sounds like an awesome premise about a group of men who meet uh in central american country and are transporting a truck full of dynamite that is like sweating and super unstable and the cover art just looks amazing there's a bridge that's all broken down and a truck driving across it so i was like ah sold (laughs) um but yeah, uh, another person with a like interesting sort of past. We talked a little bit about some of his behavior on The Exorcist, and uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was quite interesting um, that uh, Guillermo del Toro kind of came out uh, around like the announcement of his death and was like, yeah, he was known for having this like temper and being very sort of strict and 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 uh intimidating to actors and he's like let me share a story and he went on to share a story about um watching him work like later in life and how gentle he was with an actor who just could not for the life of them get the performance right for this big monologue they were supposed to deliver and he just said hey like it's okay let's um let's move on to the next thing we'll come back and and do this like it's or like had a private chat he was like some people grow and learn as they get older and like a lot of people talk about how like angry and crazy he could be but like he was also this person at points in his life i thought it was kind of a sweet anecdote you know sometimes we, i think we romanticize like angry genius you know with the artist and so it was nice to see that he he uh wasn't slapping priest in, <laughs> in his older <laughs> age uh he didn't have one just like on hand for every film, just in case he like, had to. Like a whooping boy, it's like a slapping priest. <laughs> <laughs> the actor flubs her line and just backhands the priest. <laughs> oh, that's an image that you have to all deal with now. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> oh, um, I, I have either of you seen anything outside of the the big ones bugs one i've always been interested in because i heard the play is mental it's like about like madness and sort of uh, apparently really gross and then killer joe with matthew mcconaughey like got an nc-17 rating for violence so like i've never been brave enough to like work up to that but so many people have told me it's great so a couple more on the list but... well r.i.p fellas you will be missed love your work from for what we uh what we saw and that brings us to a side quest so let's see if we can cleanse our palate and inject a little bit of happiness (laughs) by discussing something random um neuralizer so this is where we're gonna go back and erase a film from our brain and watch it for the first time you can pick one so I have one to throw out just as, I don't know, just because I feel like in some ways it, well, I'll, 
Let me restart. I'll back up for a second. <laughs> I wanted to throw out that it's probably kind of a weird choice because I think that it's interesting to see the direction of where subsequent films by this director have gone. So if I had not seen this film first, I wonder how I how my expectations of what I would be going into would be different. So I'm going to throw out The Sixth Sense as a film that I would be interested to like, if I could just wipe the slate clean and then go back in cold, if I would be expecting a twist or would I have a certain expectation of the quality of what the film is going to be like? Because I know that a lot of people, it's kind of hit or miss these days with Shyamalan as to whether you really like his, well, I shouldn't say really like, like you either like it or you don't necessarily. I know that for myself, there were a few there that I did enjoy when he first started out. And then it kind of got progressively, uh, I, I enjoyed them less. And so I kind of steered clear. And then of course there's always, you know, jokes about it too. Um, but I always really liked The Sixth Sense and I enjoyed the twist of it. But I also saw it when I was probably, geez, when did that film come out? I'm going to have to Google that real quick. I feel like that was high school like for me, maybe. 98-ish, 99, maybe. Yeah, 99. So that was, uh, oh, geez. That was either middle or high school at that point. It's probably middle school when that came out. So, you know, my mindset then and just being like shocked about you know like you know the twist at the very end and then you want to go back and watch it for all the little clues to see if everything lines up and i like when a film can do that really well where it makes you want to go back and re-watch everything just to see you know did this really line up was there any sort of like plot hole to what was there or you know does it still stand up on itself based on everything that had happened and am I not just like being emotionally like shocked at the end and believing that everything, you know, would make sense. And so I would like to, I, I don't know how I would do with that because I think that I would be very much, I would have an opinion about it before I even went into the film. And I don't know if it would have the same impact as it might've had since it was the first one that kind of like made him a big deal um, for, I guess, the the twist ending and the you know just to make popularize that sort of expectation back in the day so how about for you guys like would you would how do you think you would react if you had to go back and rewatch that film have, knowing nothing about it well first of all that's a fantastic pick um the thing is i haven't seen it since i was pretty young like funny enough i couldn't watch peewee but i could watch a success when i was a kid nice. <laughs> um so I have actually forgotten the twist and oh, with that we're context. Not, we're not going to talk about it then. We're just gonna <laughs> hold it. Yeah. Is that, then you, you tell us when you rewatch it at some point, how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> and with that context, it's like, yeah, now I really want to watch it because you brought it up. But I'm like, oh yeah, I want to experience that again. And like, I'm sure I'll probably remember it as soon as the movie starts. But um, yeah, I mean, I think in general with any movie where the the suspense is a critical component of what made the movie a success like it obviously would benefit from a, a neuralizing section session but um i don't know for me i i love the costuming and character design in that movie so much that it's mm. um probably one i would still rewatch even if i did remember the ending thanks yeah first of all i think this is a uh, this may 
touched on like a really cool approach to this prompt. Like it's really well done on coming at that from like creatively. Like I love the kind of the why behind the pick, not just like, oh, I love the movie so much. I wish I could forget it and experience it again. Uh, also very appropriate to what his whole thing is, which is like twi- you know, a twist. Sounds like that it's would a be twist. a twist. Yeah. <laughs> um, the twist is I have forgotten everything about him and now I must learn it again. <laughs> um, so like I'm somebody who I try to be pretty objective about his stuff. I, I, there's certainly movies of his that I didn't bother watching because the reaction was so bad and I've already been lukewarm on a lot of his work. But I think he's crafted some really good yarns as well. I think the sixth sense I won't talk about like the, the, the ending, but uh, like, it, it's just a well-crafted ghost story. Like anyway, you know what I mean? Like on a surface level, that movie works even knowing like what the twist is because it's properly scary. Like there are things that stick with you in that movie um, because of the craftsmanship. I feel similarly about unbreakable. Um, I think that's one of his, that's also a very strong film. Um the twist was almost like it didn't matter to me because I, I liked so much of like how that film unfolds and the subject matter and like the performance from Bruce Willis is like a, you know, it's, it's, it's solid. Uh, I even liked uh, split and kind of my point is like, I think M Knight's like the expectation around his films is like his greatest enemy. And I think mm-hmm. that he felt this increased pressure to always deliver the goods and everything had to be a twist and like the creativity. And I, I wish you would recognize that like when he's creatively free, he's a really decent filmmaker. And I think unfortunately he's a slave to like the expectations around what it is he does. And I'd love to him to just make a a film that was just a thriller or like a, a proper, um ghost story horror film whatever like sci-fi without the expectations that there had to be a twist ending i wonder how that would look and if it would be better because i don't think his movies often work because of what the twist is and like they like it everything serves that and it doesn't always like work well for me so i would uh i wouldn't mind being neuralized for the um sixth sense but i think that's a movie that i like i enjoy anyway just because it's a it's a beautifully crafted like horror ghost story just out of curiosity, what's what's a Shyamalan movie that you watched that you just got really disappointed in? Uh, the Village, I didn't care for at all. Uh, that was another example of something where I just uh, I felt like the entire thing just served to, to get you to the twists, which was uh, neither inspired or like very interesting to me. I know there's people that like it a lot. That's fine. Um, I thought Signs was um, decent. Like that's like one that I would kind of middle of the road. But again, when when the gets to the point of the movie that it's like all about <sighs> revealing like the monster, I go back to Jaws where I'm like, less is more. Like it's fine. Like I didn't need to see what these things look like. As soon as I saw what they looked like, I thought that it was bad creature design, and I was no longer scared. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, the solution to the, to the alien invasion is is interesting. It's kind of a little nod to H.G. Wells, like you know, in yeah. a different way. It's not germs, but it's similar, similarly uh, simple and sort of cool. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I didn't bother with Lady in the Water or any of the recent ones, old or Knock at the Cabin. Yeah. So or the happening even. I was. <laughs> I was disappointed by Knock at the Cabin, even though I didn't see it, because apparently it got pulled from theaters early. 
Oh yeah. Um, and I didn't have the heart to see it after that because I also I, the reviews had come out and I was like, oh, this is very different from the story it's based on, which is a great short story or novella, I guess, by um Paul Tremblay called The Cabinet at the End of the World, and I highly recommend that. But hmm. I think it's especially hard as a reader who likes a lot of the books that he bases his movies off of and then changes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine that's how people felt with Avatar, the uh, the airbending, not the blue people. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot he did that too. Because uh, I'd Famously rather bad. that he did that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll neuralize yeah. that just for my own peace of mind <laughs> and just stick with the cartoon. But yeah, it's yeah. a shit. Like so, he seems like a wonderfully talented guy. I just I don't know. Um, oh, a great example is like Split. Like um, the sort of the twist of that where like it's not even the main twist of the movie where it's like oh this is in the unbreakable universe i was like what are you doing what are you doing like i don't need this to connect like this was fine without like now trying to start your own mcu like you know what i mean like i don't know i just like i i I got to that bit and a lot of people were like oh shit now there's gonna be like you know like a a third movie that has all the care and i was like i don't give a shit now it's way less interesting because you've uh, you've tied this concrete block around the ankle of this movie and like it should just live and breathe on its own and now you've made it connect and I, I never saw glass to be fair so I don't know how that turned out I probably should at some point just to kind of finish that that trilogy of movies out but um, yeah I did see a big spoiler um, so maybe that's why I was like eh, okay gotta be in the mood for it what's that <laughs> mood for uh, it? Yeah. Gotta be, yeah gotta be in the mood it's just I'm gonna sound like a snob here. I, I can't imagine there's so many great things to watch. Like I already have so many things vying for my attention. It's hard for me to like take the time to watch something unless I'm really like convinced that I'm either gonna love it or it's interesting enough that if I don't like it wasn't an exercise in like mediocrity or futility. And I know that sounds snobby. I don't mean to sound snobby, but <laughs> it's true. Like, I mean, it's yeah. just, that's how it is. That's why, like, I used to have this thing, like, where I got to finish the show, right? Like, if I start a show and I'm into it and the show gets bad seasons, I got to finish it. And, like, I've learned, like, the sunk cost fallacy is a very real thing. Like, if you're not enjoying a game show, whatever, just, it's okay. Like, throw up your shoulders and say you tried and and move on to something that you, it stimulates you more, I guess. Well, hey, great pick, man. Thanks. Uh, that was a cool Truly. way to approach that. Yeah, that prompts. I love it. And uh, now I'm, you know, gonna as I as I'm want to do, I'm gonna narrate the transition to the uh, the main screen so I don't forget to do it. <laughs> uh, but we're here today to talk about I Tanya, which was May's nomination for role of a lifetime for Margot Robbie. So I'm gonna let May into the driver's seat to. Take it away. Hello. So, I, Tanya, is the, I guess you could call it biopic of uh, Tanya Harding. Uh, And it does follow her life from childhood to basically the end of her career. Uh, And it focuses pretty heavily on the incidents uh, in which Nancy Carrington, um, sorry, Nancy Carrington, said Carrington for some reason. Nancy Kerrigan's uh, knee got bashed in um, in allegedly a hit uh, arranged by Tanya's ex-husband, Jeff, and possibly Tanya herself. Um, The basic plot summary is that 
leading up to that event, Tanya had had a difficult skating career, uh, in part because of her abusive mother and allegedly abusive husband. Um, but also just because she came from a much lower socioeconomic status than a lot of the other skaters and had trouble meeting the presentation requirements. Um, towards the end of the film, you find out that she gets banned from skating due to her involvement with the Nancy Kerrigan incident and pursues a variety of other careers afterwards. Um, I'm curious what your first impressions were and um, remind me if you've seen this before too. Yeah, uh, this first time seeing it um it was on the list to watch when it came out and it's just i forget what happened but i think i was out of town or something marianne was dying to see it and she's a traitor and she betrayed me and watched the film and then i was like i don't want to watch it by myself and then we drew the card so (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly what i did um no but all in all seriousness I, i it's something i've been wanting to watch for some time so i was glad to have a reason to see it uh first impressions so uh, things I liked about the film, um, I love the sort of Scorsese-esque, like breaking the fourth wall, like Goodfellas, like with like music of the time as it kind of progresses through, like it was very Goodfellas-esque for me with the narration because Goodfellas does the same thing where like it goes to different characters talking about their perspective on things. I liked all like the unreliable narrators, you know, you see a scene play out and somebody's saying it's bullshit um and then somebody's retorting that was all really really uh, great stylistic choices i think to tell the story i think the tone of the movie was really perfect given the subject matter pretty heavy subject matter it lightens it a little bit it doesn't uh trivialize it um by any stretch but i think it uh makes it a little bit easier to uh to swallow some of those like tough pills uh, I thought the performances were wonderful. I know we're here to talk about uh, Robbie specifically as Tanya, so I will I'll hold on that. But spoiler alert, it was fantastic. Uh, Allison Janney, I hope I'm saying that right, as Lavana. Oh, my goodness, dude. Right? Like, like I mean, <laughs> that is like something straight out of like a Hitchcock movie for like a domineering, like crazy mom. I uh, thought that was fantastic. Sebastian Stan was great. Um, really just all around like pretty good solid cast um things that i was not so sure and maybe i just like need to work through with you guys i did feel like at times i couldn't tell if the film was like taking a stance on something or like um making an assertion on what they thought was the truth um sometimes it felt like that and sometimes it felt like it was meant to be sort of up in the air up into interpretation so I found it a little uneven at times where I'm like, I feel like you're really taking a stance here, but in the next scene, you're going to who knows. So maybe that's where they felt like certain things were historically documented better than others. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was, it was a solid, solid movie. I think the performances in the moment to moment was probably a little bit better than the entire product. Not that I didn't enjoy it or think it was a bad film. I thought it was overall very solid um but i did find it just just a tad uneven at times but um didn't take away from the enjoyment i thought the soundtrack was great especially uh ending with the passenger yeah that's my impression yeah i'm uh i'm glad you brought up the uh kind of like angle and unreliable narrator aspect because i have a specific question on that but Hmm. Uh, just so you're both aware uh the movie um i mean some of the facts are just like you know established facts from various legal documents and stuff but yes a lot of the more uh kind of colorful stuff is from an interview with tanya and an interview with jeff 
So um, really filling in the blanks on a lot of things. For instance, um, they couldn't get a hold of Lavona. And so there is one recorded interview with her that they're basing everything off of that and what Tanya said about her. Uh, in those recordings, did we ever find out what Sean's favorite episode of Star Trek was that got taped <laughs> yeah. over by his dad? <laughs> I, I kind of want to know what that was. <laughs> Asking the real questions. Was it <laughs> Next Gen or was it uh, <laughs> original series too? We don't even know which Star Trek it like. It's true. And can we even really believe that Sean likes Star Trek? Because Sean's just bullshitting everything. Let's, let's face it. So, but yeah, no. What a... And, you know, I think I mentioned his character just because I recently saw that same actor. Uh, I think it's Paul Walter Hauser. Yes. Who um, was in Blackbird, a TV series uh, with Taron Egerton on Apple TV. That was really good. But he also kind of just has that same sort of persona, just a little bit creepier. And so I was like, I was getting flashbacks to the other character that I'd seen before watching this film because I hadn't seen Itania before. Um, so to answer your first question, May, about that. Um, but overall, I really liked it. I liked it more than I thought I might actually just due to the, the subject matter and kind of what Chris was saying, too, where the the humor, the dark comedy aspect of it does lighten the mood so that even though we're watching something that is very much a train wreck, especially like all the, the abuse yeah, and just some of the stuff like, man, when Lavana throws that knife at her and I was and I, it's just like. This is this is getting darker than I ever thought it was going to be because I I vaguely remember when this happened when I was a kid and this was big news but that the most of it was just that um, what had happened to Nancy Kerrigan and what and then Tanya Harding having that stigma about being involved and that's pretty much the gist of what I knew I didn't know any of the other details plus I was also like a child so <laughs> probably wouldn't have stuck with me anyway. But yeah, it was interesting to go back and to see this dramatization of it and to be more interested now about these these people than I ever was before. And um, but more to the point, like the soundtrack, completely agree. Great soundtrack. Um, I've also I you know what I didn't honestly pick up on the Goodfellas sort of stylistic there, uh, Chris, but I agree with you as well on that. I'm going to copy you on a lot of things because I can't really fault you for your your review you covered all the main points um but yeah i like when the i like when there's the fourth wall breaking where characters are interacting with that and kind of going over the events either agreeing or disagreeing arguing with each other i didn't expect that i didn't expect the interview to sort of be like the style of where they were going to go uh with depicting it and truthfully i just thought it was going to be even darker than it was and so i yeah overall i think the way they handled it the subject matter and of course the performances like there's not i really can't add anything um more than that just an agreement that was a great film and i'm glad that you chose it and that we got the opportunity to check another one off the box there thank you i'm i'm glad i could pitch it to the podcast honestly because this is the third time I've seen it. I saw it when it came out originally and I watched it another time since then. And I I loved this film immediately. Um, it was my first time hearing about the Nancy Kerrigan inc- incident mm-hmm. and even who Tanya Harding was. Um, mm-hmm. I Will, you talked about hearing about it when it was in the news. Did you hear about it, Chris, like before watching this movie much? Yeah. So like um, one of those 
early childhood memories or like where you start becoming aware of the news as a child, there's three things. One was this one was the OJ trial, which they referenced like at the end of the film. Yeah. And then the other was the Clinton impeachment. Yeah. Like, that that yeah. was, those were kind of like three stories that really stick out to me um, where like, even as a, a young person, like you were aware, even if you didn't have all the context or really understand what was going on, it was just that prominent on newsstands and on, on TV and, yeah, definitely remember. Um, my mom was really into figure skating as well. So that probably mm -hmm. helped. Like we watched, I can't tell you how many like things, programs on TV. So I knew like all the figure skaters at the time just because like we had one TV. It was like, yeah, that's what you're watching. You're whatever someone's watching uh, that's like has if an adult has a preference, like that's what everyone's watching. So, yeah. Yeah, I it's interesting. This watch, I was paying more attention to the fact that there is this interesting tonal shift from like rather, you know, tragic comic biopic about halfway through to just ridiculous true crime documentary where they're going into like how this <laughs> this crime was planned and how poorly it was planned. And <laughs> I one of the quotes was like, uh, in a story of boobs, somehow the two biggest boobs <laughs> pulled off this crime. <laughs> um and and then it just you know takes you right back to where tanya is and how this is affecting her career and there's definitely a, a pro tanya slant so my first question is like tanya harding as a character not necessarily who she actually is in real life how did you feel about her through this film man i i, I waffled back and forth between feeling an immense amount of like empathy and like pity at times for her and being incredibly frustrated by some of the decisions that she made and just wanting her to like, like leave so many situations, her mom jet, like she's almost free and clear like a couple of times, like from a lot of bad situations, um, sort of the pressure, like obviously that she's dealing with. Um, but yeah, but then there was like times where I don't know, it's just like, oh, pull your head out of your ass. Like, come on. Like, um i also don't i'm not really sure uh, like i it's hard not to talk about the real person a little bit like how i ultimately feel about her involvement and like how much like she knew and stuff and i tried not to read too much about the real life stuff before recording this because i didn't want that to taint like the discussion of the movie but um i i found her complex you know i, I think that's one thing the film does really well is they portray her as a complex human being with a lot of faults and strengths and you know admirable qualities sort of all mixed in and it's a, a fairly robust picture i think of a human being which is something i was a little bit worried about when i saw the trailers honestly i wasn't sure if they were going to kind of paint her as like a caricature and yeah. i think to some extent yeah. like she is but like not in a way that is um it's a word i'm looking for uh like cruel or or sort of like mean-spirited you know i think like it's caricature because the whole movie is a caricature basically of all these people and the events. Yeah. Well said. Um, I definitely relate to her um, in the sense of like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she's a woman that is portrayed as like being exceptionally talented and that being kind of separate from all of the poor personal and professional choices that she makes. <laughs> um and like that her her like you know kind of tragic backstory is portrayed but that that's also you know 
separate from her whole story and yeah I just I just liked how the pieces were kind of divided but also put together of who she was and what her life experience was like we'll say that despite all the bad choices she made she never quit (laughs) not a quitter she got her she got her ass beat and she was like no I'm not you know even even when the one thing that she wanted the most got taken away from her she still found something to do after that so i gotta admire i mean the character i have to admire the character for that so um i will say i don't i mean again just based on the film itself in that context i um and i also have to temper this with not experience not understanding or having ever experienced in a physically abusive relationship myself i have no idea about what dynamic that's got to feel like in order to feel like you have to go back to that person for any reason regardless of what the reason is even if it's to try and establish your own goals within the you know to create a picture that other people believe um because in some ways this made me feel a lot like gone girl where it's the it's the popular opinion perception of what you look like to everybody else that helps you get ahead or gets you sympathy. So it's like, was that really worth I mean, if that was worth it to you and you were willing to put up with that abuse to get to that point, then you're either very ingenuitive in a strange sort of masochistic way or, <laughs> or there's, I don't know, or you just felt like that was the only route to take. And so um, for better or worse, yeah, I got to admire her uh, her commitment to trying to get what she wanted. Yeah, seeing her continually go back to Jeff or go back to her mom was heartbreaking. But I, there was one line that hit me like a bag of bricks um, where she's first talking about the abuse of Jeff and she's like, well, my mom loved me and my mom hit me. So, you know, what was the problem with it basically? Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of, communicates well like how hard if you've grown up with abuse it is to like properly recognize and avoid it in your romantic relationships so i can't judge her too much for going back to him even if it does seem like it was maybe for her own manipulative reasons at least by the end um but yeah messy situation for sure and i really appreciated the equipment to showing different viewpoints um speaking of which uh how do you guys feel about jeff (laughs) <laughs> <Fuck that guy. laughs> I, I, I mean, Jesus, where to begin um again played well by sebastian stan uh but anybody with the name galuli like is bound to be like a, like a dumbass i don't know i'm just kidding if your name's galuli i'm sorry <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know like he i i think even though the film tries to give him a bit of a fair shake in terms of him saying his piece uh don't worry never really like warmed to him he was funny as like fodder i guess like comedic fodder then he'd tall off and punch her and you're like oh okay um seems like a not good guy i don't really know what else to say besides that i mean i mean know, i think we all agree that jeff sucks but i i mean i don't know like air force he you know midst of ruining, the air force then. sorry it's ruining her career you know which i suppose like is a little comfort but if he really did that i don't know like i suppose that's like a nice um apology but um I don't I don't know like he just seemed like a like a buffoon 
that did nothing for i mean i can't think of a single thing at least in the film that jeff does uh that enriches her life like whatsoever and is not some sort of like burden or distraction or i suppose he supports her you know does does show up to like the events and like cheers her on and maybe he had good intentions with the whole kerrigan thing although i suppose that's a different discussion altogether i like him (laughs) me neither that makes three yeah (laughs) i um yeah, it's one of those things where he's, it's like it started out, looked like, okay, you know, decent, maybe decent guy, yeah, but very quickly established the fact that he is an asshole and abusive and self-centered. And yeah, agreed. I, um, but I can't fault it for choosing Sebastian Stan to be, the, to be that character yeah. because he does that personality type very well i feel like there was another film i saw him and he was very similar to that too and um yeah no over i mean i i just i believed it seeing that character i believed mm-hmm. uh, just how obnoxiously vile he was <laughs> so yeah. i think he's a great example of like the kind of guy that can initially seem like you're your you're ticket out of a shitty situation or a should he start in life and then quickly turns into not that but you're like but maybe <laughs> he bought me dove bars he got the name brand like, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> he makes decent peanut butter and jelly sandwiches you know maybe it's not too bad <laughs> yeah fuck jeff uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um obviously we have to talk about lavona um Alice and Jenny absolutely deserves the shout out you gave her for that performance. That was terrifying. Um yeah, same moment you guys pointed out about the the knife going into Tanya's arm. Um I remember seeing that in theaters and just like I had been eating something and I just stopped chewing and I was like, oh, that that is a sudden <laughs> escalation right there. Um yeah, definitely was not the direction I thought the movie was going at that point. Um and unfortunately i don't feel like we have much info or much of lavona's story from lavona's perspective it's mostly based on just stories from tanya although i was reading the one thing that is confirmed is that she would beat tanya with a hairbrush because someone literally did walk in like you see in the movie and like catch that happening um so unclear exactly how much of what's portrayed in the movie was going on but at least some of it's been corroborated by other sources yeah uh movie lavona what'd you think of her (laughs) singularly deplorable just top to bottom no redeeming qualities in my mind i think incapable of love classic narcissist like there's just so many things there that uh just i was captivated every time she was on the screen but uh seemed pretty clear that she wanted all of the credit for tanya being successful but aside from maybe like dropping her at the ice rink like i don't know how much credit she's really owed to to any of tanya's success like she thinks that like oh if i neg her like she's gonna like do better and i don't know if it's a true thing it seems probably like a movie embellishment where there's the guy that's like yelling all the stuff and she passes on the money like mm-hmm. it's getting the point across though if that's like what she needs and 
seems like bullshit. It just seems like the way, at least from the film portrayal, Tanya's built this wall around herself because she's been sort of hardened by abuse. Yeah. And that's why she can still skate uh, despite all of that. But you kind of, your mind wonders how different her life would have been even as a professional skater if she had had sort of more like love and support at home you know just how different things like would have turned out but uh i think if you were going to put a villain in this movie lavana is definitely it (laughs) no kidding um i still laugh at at the insanely darkly funny moment when uh tanya and her dad are out hunting and tanya's Mm. like yes mom did this and this again and this again do you love her (laughs) (laughs) they're both just kind of like meh yeah because like to to have that realization of such a young child like again probably artistic license but oof. i think it was well i agree with the points you've already both of you have already made um, the scene that I thought was the most surprising to me was sort of, and it was one of those things where you kind of get like a little spidey sense about something's not right kind of video. It was like at the very end where are pretty much like almost to the very end of the film where she comes in to visit Tanya and says something to the effect of like, I'm proud of you. And like, it's almost like this, this weird twilight zone moment where you're like, hold on. <laughs> You've never said a single nice thing this entire film. Why do I think that this is even coming remotely from anywhere truthful? And then what's your goal with that? But then it's like, well, maybe, you know, there's just like the, the moment where even I'm convinced that maybe there's some shred nah. of, of niceness in this abusive, like just for a split second. Then you're just like, why'd she put her hand in her pocket? Is she recording <laughs> this? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I uh, should have seen some, some shistiness coming with that. So yeah, that was... But I think to me, that was the one scene out of all of it that I was like, man, that's good and awful at the same time. You know, that, um, just because there was, there's like just a, you, you want to kind of, and maybe that's sort of to feel like Tanya a bit where you just kind of want to believe for just a moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she is an excellent villain for the film. And uh, and that's all I got. <laughs> she, she definitely gives me the most sympathy for Tanya because it's like, Wow, you're getting nothing positive from any of the close people in your life. Like, I can't say I'd be doing much better <laughs> in that kind of a spot. I think it's kind of amazing how well she does, given yeah. like, the the home life. If it, even a fraction of that stuff was true, I think to be able to hold together enough to be. I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't know how where where you guys fall, but I think there's like some some uh, athletic ability that she's probably born with but big amount of mistake like it, it takes an incredible amount of training and commitment to be competitive in a sport like that and i think it's 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 wild that she was able to manage as well as she did and and to be able to do a triple axle that almost no one else could do at the time still least. like i read like i think there's like it's less than 10 people like have ever been able to like do that in a competition at least yeah. for like women figure skaters um I didn't dig deep into it, but it's still pretty impressive, even all this time later. I think it's also, um, this is just a random thought that came to me. Sorry. But I, I, I think also like a key part of her 
kind of personality and Tanya's own, I guess, kind of character fault of maybe being a little bit too, you know, head up her ass. So you're saying, Chris, is mm -hmm. the need to feel like she has value, at least in this one thing, because she's getting devalued everywhere else in her life. So I think that is what drives a lot of her perfectionism with skating. And it's like, maybe everything else you're saying about me is true, but I can, you know, skate better than anyone else. And that's kind of what she clings on to for value as a person. Um, so I was I was relieved by the afterword of the movie when they were like, oh, she's happily married with kids and in her own career now. And I'm like, okay, good for you, Sonia. You found you found other sources of meaning in your life. <laughs> Speaking of which, one thing that I was wondering if they were going to cover and they didn't um, was that her and Jeff sold their honeymoon sex tape like to Penthouse um, yeah. for like a half a million dollars. Um, I did not yep. know that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so if you want to judge Jeff even harsh more harshly, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a real thing um that happened, and uh, it was the same year, I think, that all that like 94, it was like a big thing, like big story, because obviously she was embroiled around the other controversies and maybe saw the writing on the wall. Obviously, she had some money that she needed to pay, as we saw in the film but yeah it was like a half a million bucks they split it evenly and it was like a big big thing one of the first i mean like this is like pre-paris hilton or like any of that shit like smartphones didn't exist so it was like a big deal anyway um i suppose that would have probably been a bit too big of a bummer probably for the end of the movie to be like and then she did the boxing is a little more inspiration i will put it that way <laughs> <laughs> more inspirational i should say <laughs> a little less sad <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, good to know that. Um, <laughs> but before we talk more about Margot specifically or about um like cinematography, I did want to touch on one more character, and that is Sean. Because <laughs> <laughs> we oh, have to man. talk about Sean. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just creepy, uh... creepy ass motherfucker <laughs> living with his parents. <laughs> I actually, so I think to me, one, and this is sort of tangential to answer your question, but I found, I always find it interesting when they show footage of the real people that they're supposed to be based off of at the end of some movies. And at this one where you see Sean during the credits and I thought, you know, he's not as creepy as that guy portrayed him, like just sort of the general demeanor. But I like how some of the, some of the essence was still there about just the bullshit that this guy likes to say to try and get people to believe that he's like a counter-terrorist, like expert. <laughs> he's gone undercover. He actually and all these... said that. <laughs> yeah. Like verbatim. Like that is hilarious. And he, like, he seemed to be very confident when he said it, like the real guy said it, in that, at least in that clip. Whereas Sean in the uh, in the film version is kind of he is not nearly as confident. It's sort of there, but it's sort of it's more just like goofy, comedic, creepy, slightly uncertain. Tries to like pivot every two seconds to try and make up for whatever garbage just came out of his mouth that he tried to make somebody believe. So um, I don't. Know, I feel bad for Sean. In the sense that that's the, like, it feels like that's the best he ever had in life. And I don't know why it ever came to that. Like his parents, for the most part, seemed generally pretty normal. They were a little too enthusiastic, I think, but because he, he admitted that he was like behind 
the thing with Nancy Kerrigan, right? At one point where his dad's like, they're all watching he, the TV about the news and he's several like, points. He told yeah. everyone he met. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> How did the FBI find out? I didn't talk to anybody, you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm more curious about why Sean is the creeper that he is, but at the same point, I just thought this is, I don't know. Like I found it, I found it entertaining in the sense, like for the dark comedy of like, just the, like the dark comedy of errors of all the dumb stuff that was going to unfold. Like you knew it was going to be bad. You knew it was going to be a clusterfuck, but I don't know. It was just like, this is just too goofy. I, and I believe it at least for the characters, you know, I would believe that that would be something that would happen. So whether like or not that out of it... a Coen brother film, bro, like, yeah, honestly, yeah. Like, exactly. the, like, like it's Fargo esque or Lebowski esque. Like he reminded me of Walter from the big Lebowski where he's like, <laughs> like my point dude is like, why block it's under letters when you can break her knee. Like, you know, <laughs> you can almost like substitute John Goodman for that. That's oh, I was primed for laughter because he plays Manta Ray, I think is his name, and Cobra Kai. Like, he literally oh. has a haircut that looks like a Stingray or a Manta Ray. I forget what his character's name is, but oh, wow. he's very much that, like, proto-incel, like, kind of, like, character <laughs> in that as well. So, like, as soon as I saw him on the screen, I was like, I know this guy's going to make me laugh. I don't know why. And then I had to, like, Google, like, who he was. And I was like, that's where I know you from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a little yeah. pitiful. Yeah. He's a, he's just a comical mi- mix of arrogant and incompetent. <laughs> Which yeah. I think describes a lot of the people of this film, but <laughs> <laughs> it, like it was hard watching him confronted like with like having to like reconcile like his own delusions of grandeur with the reality where they're like, no, you're not. Yeah, who said that? And you know, he's just getting quieter and quieter. I don't know. It like the movie seems to imply that maybe he's got some psychological issues, you know, maybe. But um funny care. I mean, for for the sake of like the comedy, I thought that character worked really well. And being like, this is who a dumbass goes to like <laughs> for solutions, basically. And who does yeah, he hire? For me, he was the only like true comedic relief because like the other characters would say or do funny stuff, but like usually in between like terrible violence and mm. with him, it was just like reliably going to be something outrageous. Yeah, because I feel like Sean was the guy who like tries to pretend like he has been manipulating Jeff as well or that he was the one that that put in like the first um, death threat to Tanya. Yeah then inspires jeff to want to do the same thing to nancy which then prompts jeff to pay on money to give to two of sean's buddies to go out and deliver letters quote unquote which then like evolves into we're just gonna go assault nancy kerrigan (laughs) so i thought it was interesting that like that sort of I don't know, just not really knowing leading up to that, like which side the movie was going to try and go through, because I guess what I'm not actually familiar enough with what the FBI found out or made public about it, but I could say either way about it. So I'm assuming just based on what they they knew, generally speaking, that was sort of how things ended up or I mean, besides clearly the guy getting busted for like using his credit card. (laughs) Yeah, um. All I know on that is just 
Sean, it, it's it's unknown if Sean like called in the initial death threat. Like uh, Tony did get a death threat before all this happened, and that was allegedly the inspiration. But I don't know if that's a lie actual Sean made up or if it's just a movie fabrication to I appear totally like he's been see. pulling the strings all along. Yeah, he like creates the problem and then manufactures the solution, which actually creates a problem. Like I love the. <laughs> that weird uh rube goldberg machine that like it just leads to <laughs> what i mean really kind of a tragic unnecessary outcome for almost everybody involved but uh speaking of uh points of view i would like to hear both of your kind of honest assessments of how you felt the movie balanced just kind of the lack of hard facts on these people's lives um and the lack of things being released about the incident itself and how it kind of balanced um, working off of mostly just interviews with Tanya and Jeff. Yeah, I, I think this is like where uh, I struggled a little bit trying to decide if the filmmakers were uh, making some sort of final judgments. Like it, it's presented very early on that like this is going to be all the different perspectives from everybody and uh, they're all unreliable. This person said X happened, but this person said Y happened, and who knows? The further into the movie I got, the more I felt like it did sort of treat Tanya's version as truth, um, which didn't bug me because I I didn't like believe it, but more or less like I just I felt like it, uh, all of a sudden um, the other points of view dropped off a little bit, and I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. I'm misinterpreting it or misremembering it but um it just that's that's where that unevenness came in where i'm like ah, so like are you taking a stance um obviously like the film wants you to have sympathy towards her a little bit and the situation is sort of being like the somewhat of a victim of circumstances right beyond her control and then having to bear the consequences of the actions of other people um but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I felt very conflicted about the points of views. I thought it was much more balanced in the first half, half of the film and made for more interesting sort of viewing than the back half where, again, it really was, I think, here's why you should feel bad for Tanya Harding and really like the result of, of all the shit that goes down from good intentioned Jeff <laughs> trying to help her career. Do you remember like the specific point you kind of felt that shift? I would say probably the point in the film where they're like, oh, the incident, the thing that you came to oh, hear about, yeah. right? Like, yes, like we continue with the Jeff interviews and things like that. There seems to be a lot less ambiguity. And maybe that's because their stories aligned. Again, I really tried not to look too much into the mm-hmm. the real incident. I think now, like once we finish the podcast, I, like I, I got to go down some Reddit rabbit holes or, you know, uh, I know there's like some books and documentaries uh, about it. So maybe it's just that like there wasn't a lot of conflicting information and my waffle waffling back and forth and feeling a little uncertain is just my own manufactured <laughs> confusion. I, mean, I think that's, that's a valid interpretation. Um, I didn't feel that way just because like they do make it clear Tanya knew that they were sending her death threats and like helped yeah. by like, you know, figuring out sure. what, you know, practice arena she had and stuff like that. Um, 
Even and that she kind of disputes though. It cuts to her and she's like, oh, they found this piece of paper in my household. And like, I was like, but okay. Like you're showing her doing this. And maybe that's like supposed to be Jeff's point of view. And then she seems to be refuting it and yeah. later confesses it. So it's weird because like in the scenes where she's in the kitchen, like that's the present, right? But she's refuting that like she had, like it seems like or almost like downplaying her involvement. But yet like she had that whole confession with like the, where she sort of admits to it and like throws Jeff under the bus a little bit. Yeah. Um, I believe that was supposed to be kind of like from Jeff's point of view. Like is it, uh, okay. there's an earlier scene where she's firing like a shotgun at Jeff, for instance. And she's like, oh, well, that never happened. No, I get that. But it, but like, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things I got to watch again. And yeah, I have seen it three see times. how I feel about so. it. <laughs> I just... Yeah, it was uh, it wasn't confusing. It just sort of like it felt. I don't know. I felt like the film was a little bit more like one tracked, but I think it was also they were focusing on one very specific chain of events. And maybe that's that's why I felt the tonal shift a little bit too, versus sort of like a series of anecdotes that over a long span of time. And I agree. It definitely has a Tanya bias. It is called I Tanya, not I Jeff. Sure, sure. Yeah. I'm not even saying it's biased. <laughs> I'm just saying like I couldn't I couldn't figure out like what point they were necessarily trying to to make and if they were sticking to like hey, like the truth is a little ambiguous or like this is like the version of events that we've chosen to sort of portray as like what how it went down. Whereas like the first half I very much felt like who knows like these are all people that are very complicated and the truth has a way of evolving and metamorphosizing and people will say different things to save face and whatever um but sorry sorry to hijack that but yeah that's a very long-winded way of be saying like uh i think that um it was just uh it was a little uneven for me yeah no that's not a hijack thank you for <laughs> explaining yeah uh what do you think well um, I think overall, I like the fact that it's sort of left, that they have conflicting perspectives, um, <laughs> that it is very much in that interview style, so that it doesn't seem like it's necessarily, I mean, you can kind of, you get the feeling through it, sort of mirroring what you um, mentioned already, Chris, that of who it is that we're sort of rooting for, or that we are trusting the information from. And so... I think that ultimately, I like that there is some ambiguity to it, that there is some um, disjointedness and some argument over what really happened, because it seems like that's sort of the way that it all turned out was weren't really clear. But there was, you know, clearly there there was some judgment that was passed over it. But whether or not we ever really got the full story is um, either a Google search after the, the podcast or is pro maybe is just as ambiguous as the film portrays it to be. So I, um, I think overall, I like the way that it's presented. I am interested to go back though, for the points that you made, just to kind of see if you can, if there's like a, um, an aesthetic, you know, like something either within the shot, like in the frame that sort of denotes whose perspective beyond when they're just talking about what's going on and you kind of get the, the impression based on like the the narration but also maybe if there's some other little clues um that kind of lean into whose perspective you're probably watching versus somebody else's about the events that they're uh, dealing with yeah but no i think overall um 
I'm not as I don't feel like I'm as critical about it, but I also think that I like the points that were made about maybe it could use a little bit of refinement or it's just a good excuse to go back and see maybe if there was something else that was going on. So, but overall, no, I like the I like the format. I like what you said about like if there are subtle clues as to kind of like what perspective any scene is from. Because the one place I did notice that is um, they, they're definitely a bit more like caricatures of themselves when the other person is clearly kind of giving a biased take. Like, for instance, when um, there's the scene of Margot Robbie, like doing it, doing the crime herself, basically, she yeah. looks very Harley Quinn in that yeah. scene, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> to make it clear that, that that's an obvious fabrication. Yeah, I, I would give anything to have... Uh a beer or two with um lavana and just let her talk <laughs> like yeah right <laughs> if she's anything close to this like movie character i just can't imagine i'd I'd be really curious to see like i don't know if that interview was recorded like just like audio video or transcribed to text but again i really try to stay away from anything you know quote unquote from like primary sources before this yeah. but i cannot wait to really really like dig 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 because uh it's quite fascinating and the one thing i did read about the production of the film is um seems like the filmmakers like set out to get as much as they could like in terms of primary sources and like they wanted to have um a a film that felt like it was from a lot of different perspectives and sort of built a more more complete picture versus Mm -hmm. uh just being an autobiography which i think is way less interesting than getting some of these like crazy characters just given what the story entails and right yeah what does the parrot have to say about (laughs) (laughs) i read that poor allison janney was not keen on birds and uh Oh, no. Like had to sort of endure, I'm sure, some of those like looks of disdain. <laughs> She's like <laughs> telling it to quit. Were probably not hard to <laughs> to conjure up. Yeah, I'll be doing a lot of fact checking after this too. More than I did a little bit, but I'll be doing even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my last question before we move on to games and final thoughts, uh, is what did you think of Margot Robbie's performance? Um, could another actress have done it better or did this feel like a quintessentially Margot Robbie role? No, I can't see anybody else. And I think that Margot Robbie is one of those actors that there are certain moments where you're just watching them and they sort of just disappear into the character. And I feel like in this film, which an excellent choice for it. I don't know. I just, I very much believe she was who I was watching. And it's kind of like watching Daniel Day Lewis, you know, when we were watching There Will Be Blood, where I just, I just believe mm-hmm. you are that character, and I, you look like it in the eyes. I think the scene where she is losing composure, trying to put her makeup on, and yeah. then just the, the fake smiling and the sad eyes, and I'm like, damn, you were good. Like that is, and that I don't know that that to me just reinforced why I, I very much believe she is an exceptional actor, and particularly in this film that we watched, but in in others as well. Um, but yeah, so yes, I would say yes. I I can't imagine anybody else playing the role, and I think she nailed it. Yeah, the makeup scene clinched it for me as well. That stood out to me as every time I've watched this. Yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody else playing this. I think like early in her career and still now to some extent, like Margot Robbie is unfairly categorized as like a pretty 
like you know like one of those actresses it's like oh you're in like the pretty roles and like you're she's she's pretty um but like i, I see a lot of just nasty comments on the internet uh that really don't give credit where it's due i think she's one of the most incredible actresses uh working in film and this role in particular you look at all the iterations of tanya that you get and i think that was what was most impressive to me so like the tanya from jeff's perspective the young tanya the tanya that's in crisis the tanya that's in the future or like the present whatever you want to call it like sitting at the table smoking she's so many different versions of that character that are identifiable as the same character but at very different places in their life and under very different circumstances and i think she just knocks it out of the fucking park man she's phenomenal um in that role and i i can't imagine a single person doing as well as, as she did for sure uh speaking of young tanya shout out to mckenna grace for no. that portrayal because yeah she's yeah. She's played so many famous women as like the younger selves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just knocked it out of the park. Margot Robbie, great job, good film. Uh, <laughs> do you guys have any other final thoughts before we move on to our little ranking game? Just that this is one of those movies that I'll uh, like. I want to watch again. You know, I think it'll be rewarding. Like with like re- repeat viewings. Like I think there's just there's a lot. It's a very rich film, um, well crafted, but uh, definitely one I'm looking forward to to rewatching. I, anytime I'm off balance, like finishing a film, like that's a good. I feel like it's a good sign, you know. Where I'm like, I'm not sure I felt about that. I gotta like reevaluate it. Like I think that's that's a sign of a uh, if nothing else, like a really interesting movie. I love that. There's a couple of films like that that I've seen recently. Where, like. Ah oh, man, I got to process that. But um, no, thanks for for nominating it. I think it's it's quite the interesting way to t- tackle this. You could have done a very straightforward biopic, and I'm sure it still would have been interesting. But this was way cooler, and it kind of reminded oh, yeah. me a little bit of the uh, Vice, you know, in that way where it was mm-hmm. like a very interesting stylistic way to tackle something that a lot of people are familiar with, but like it made it interesting. Uh, well, now it's time to actually rank this role, see if it is the role of a lifetime uh, against. Mm for uh margot robbie's other films which we picked before recording started um she's been in a lot of movies but we want to pick uh the five we thought kind of showed her acting chops the best so our unordered list and if this isn't an order it might just be chronological order uh we have barbie i tanya birds of prey once upon a time in hollywood and the wolf of wall street I don't know if you guys want to take a minute to think or if you already know your ranking off off you know tip of your tongue but <laughs> figure we can go in turns or how about well, this how about we each say what our number five is okay and since i've only seen one out of all of these i'm going to throw a couple <laughs> suggestions out as to number five i'm going to say number five is going to either be birds of prey or once upon a time in hollywood there's no way okay. it's Harley Quinn as number five. I'm just going to, I will fight <laughs> you guys to the nail. I walk if it's number five. Oh, what's up on a time in Hollywood was going to be my pick. Okay. okay. Actually. I won't say that's probably there. Yeah, that was going to be mine as well um, because I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, so it's making it easier. There is scientific <laughs> ranking here. Yep. I will say it's why it's a good pick for number five. 
Um, it not to the detriment detriment of the movie necessarily, but she, I don't know that she has more than like a couple of lines, like in the whole entire film. Almost all of the film is, uh, I, I should say, scenes in the film with her in it. Um, as Sharon Tate is mainly watching her sort of walk around Hollywood, drive around Hollywood. She's at parties. Um, but there's a scene in particular that I really loved and Tarantino kind of qualified it a little bit and said like, listen, like I know she doesn't have a lot of like speaking roles, but I wanted to like showcase the beauty of the human being that was like Sharon Tate. And she goes to see herself in a film and Sharon Tate is just like sitting in the audience glowing, like with people like laughing because it's comedic role and just like soaking it in and it's just such a beautiful like Aww. facial performance uh that kind of highlights like the the tragedy of it but um mm-hmm. she didn't get a lot to do and that's okay he didn't want it to just be about the tragedy of Sharon Tate I highly recommend you watch that movie it's one of Tarantino's best um should watch it but I think 5 is a good choice for that reason like she's not front and center doesn't have a lot to do she makes an impact and it is really really stunning performance for what time she has but it's it's not not the best by far okay number five it is number four well like uh based on what i'm assuming you guys are going to say for birds of prey barbie and i tanya i think wolf of wall street is going to have to be number four then right so yeah we're all all in agreement (laughs) (laughs) i'm just using logic here it's just purely logic (laughs) at this point Chris, do you want to articulate a more fleshed out reason? I'm famously <laughs> kind of sour on that movie. I thought it was an hour over long. I, oh. I didn't particularly like the uh, the subject matter. Um, probably another one I should give a second shot, but I was uncharacteristically cold for a Scorsese movie on that. Um, wasn't my favorite of his, but that she's was- memorable. I mean, the famous, like, you know, sort of the bit the scene you know where she's tantalizing DiCaprio just to stick out you know and and she's (laughs) she's great and a lot of like the kind of everything is falling apart scenes and things like that but yeah okay so so far we have number five once upon a time in Hollywood number four the Wolf of Wall Street uh number three Will do you want to go first my logic logic dictates um you know, truthfully, I think I, Tanya, and Barbie are going to clinch it in first and second place, respectively. But I could be surprised by this. I'm still going to say Birds of Prey is going to be number three for you guys. Okay, Chris? No, disagree. Hey! All right, so then I'm going to say I, Tanya, is probably <laughs> going to get knocked into the third place. What's your third place pick, Chris? Mm-hmm. I feel like I have, Barbie, I have a hard Barbie's going to be at the top. <laughs> I feel like as much as I love Barbie and the message behind it and Margaret Robbie's great, I do feel like I'm putting it here third because I think the iconicness of the character. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so tough, man. These times are going to be hard. I haven't Um... seen Birds of Prey, (laughs) but I have seen Barbie. So I have the opposite inclination. (laughs) (laughs) When you think Margaret Robbie, you think like Harley Quinn for for me, for my money. Like I think like She's closely tied to that, but I'm okay with compromising. We can fight out the top two <laughs> and putting Itanya there. Oh, you want to put Itanya for third? 
I'm not putting Harley Quinn below the top two. I can tell you right now. Like when you think of like Harley Quinn, you think Margot Robbie or the opposite, I guess. Margot Robbie, you think Harley Quinn for sure. Okay. Well, um, I, I'm okay putting Barbie in third then. How do you feel, Will? That's okay by me. I haven't seen okay. it. I need to. It's all We can chalk it up to recency bias. I might be wrong in a year. Like when Barbie's had some time <laughs> to marinate, I might go, what was I thinking? Like, of course, but. All right, I feel like I know what your number two pick is going to be, Chris. But uh, Will, what's your number two pick? <laughs> All right, so we already we locked in Barbie for three. Is that yeah. what just happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess I, Tanya, is going to be number two. Because uh, <laughs> if Harley Quinn and uh, Margot Robbie are inseparable, then that's who's going to be number one. I disagree, but I feel like I'm going to be outnumbered here. <laughs> I could be it's convinced. Hard, like I'm on the fence. So like yeah. sell me on sell me on Itania over uh over Harley Quinn. And what I should say, like, how do you like is it just in terms of like her being inseparable from the role? Like are there like go ahead, sell me. I I'm open okay. to it. Well, first of all, yes, she is inseparable from the role, but I also think she does a really good job portraying different ages, for instance. Like yeah. my God, that flirting scene between her and Jeff before their first kiss, I could feel the teenage awkwardness and angst. And <laughs> that was very well acted. Um, and she's clearly very different as she ages, uh, in her dynamic with her mom and her dynamic with Jeff. And I think she does a good job in just like her basic body language with that. Um, but there's also just kind of like, you get to see different sides of Tanya's personality. You get to see her in joy and panic. You get to see her when she's being kind of playful and when she's even like kind of trying to prod at her mom a bit and like finally, you know be a bit playful with her and how that backfires I just I feel like it's a very well it, it feels like a very true authentic person even though it's kind of a ridiculous person and I feel like mm. that says a lot about Margot Robbie's acting sold Yay! I'm, going to, I'm going to put Harley <laughs> Quinn Harley Quinn it too as much as like it is inseparable from her and vice versa uh, I think you make a good point you know like Harley Quinn is very much like a identifiable character with identifiable traits. Um, and there's some complex stuff for sure. I think like if you've never, seen, I know it's a lot to ask because most of those movies are garbage, but uh, the suicide squad and birds of prey in particular are uh, fabulous and have a lot more complexity than suicide squad, which is like the first thing she was in. Um, they tried, but um, oddly like enough, there's a lot of parallels. So it started the trend in like the films, at least of portraying Harley Quinn as um, a victim of like abuse, trying to leave the relationship. Like she's always been that like with the relationship with the Joker, but I think really making her a feminist icon in terms of like the fallout, like what she does after, like that became just how the character um, was, uh, was done. Like, but I, Tanya would agree with you. She does a lot of really good work from a lot mm-hmm. of different perspectives. Like even portraying those like like those uh unreliable narrator scenes, like where you said, like, oh, she's gotta play this from somebody else's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily the true Tanya or like the Tanya from how she would view herself, but how would she be viewed by somebody else? So sold. Yay. I was gonna just keep talking until I saw you nod, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm filibuster this it. podcast. <laughs> hey, listen, I wasn't accepting anything below number two just because 
despite being in some dog shit movies like that specific iteration is like iconic now but uh but now you you sold me i think i mean listen like that's what the whole podcast has been about i think we all kind of agreed it was it was a powerhouse performance and uh i'm just glad to see her continue to like get good shit like good roles like she doesn't pick a lot of things that are um uninteresting like even the little cameo we talked about in asteroid city it has impact it's just two minutes but um it has impact you're like oh my god like you know her immediately right and mm-hmm. it's a really great um important scene to to the film that i won't spoil but good to know yeah all right so we have our final ranking number one i Tanya. number two birds of prey number three barbie Number four, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sweet. Margot Robbie, let me know if you agree. <laughs> Tag her. Right. All of you guys should, yeah, by all you guys, I mean, you two should definitely watch uh, any of those that you haven't seen. Yeah. And with that, let's see what we're watching next. Anybody have like a prediction on like a category? Like want to look into your crystal ball? Mm. No one's feeling it, huh? I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> the categories versus mode. Book, book, book. Mm. I'm I'm still shuffling. I'm gonna say that we get a milk or wine. I don't know why. All right, drawing. Oh, Will manifested. Was the book better? Oh shit! <laughs> so, while I'm looking up the book, uh, a reminder that we will be giving a full month before we record this one, so this will be put to the side. Uh, and the the book slash film that we are going to be watching is The Shining. Ooh. So almost perfect because nice. it'll be like inching into halloween so we'll, we'll announce the final dates for that so we'll be watching slash reading the shining nice. um which means we have to draw a second card in the meantime i'm gonna veto myself if it's one of my picks just because that is one of my nominations for the shining so hold up while i pick up the singular card hopefully it's not always easy to do this in tabletop simulator that's my one like gripe with this program all right put that to the side let's see what we're getting for the next category okay we know it's going to be rigged if you get another book (laughs) ah it is ensemble (laughs) energy and i do believe this is a will pick so ensemble energy to remind our audiences is a film that has an ensemble cast and we're going to talk about why they did a great job developing unique characters and plot lines oh will fuck yeah man thanks for giving me an excuse to to watch heat <laughs> so heat nice. the the film oh, um man. michael mann film starring al pacino robert de niro Ooh. uh val kilmer tom sizemore who else am i missing in there uh, Ashley Judd, a, I think, in there too. Ashley Judd, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Danny Trejo. There's like everybody in this, but <laughs> most famously, like when they were doing the marketing, uh, this is the first time that Robert De Niro and Al Pacino act in the same scene together. Because, like, believe it or not, up until that time, even though they were in Godfather Part Two, they never actually shared an on-screen uh, scene. And boy, do they have one of the all-time greats in this movie. 
So, Will, talk us through why you nominated Heat. Like, what is there anything particular like you love about this type of ensemble? Obviously, it's like a crime thriller heist film, but there's definitely the uh, the crime aspect of it. Um, the heist, well, the crime heist, yeah, and also the fact that, well two scenes in particular there's a, a big shootout scene without spoiling anything to go into too much detail that i just thought was very well executed and is like kind of in the same vein as like people that like john wick for how realistic the the gunplay is i think was also mentioned to be like very realistic depiction of how people would have reacted in this kind of shootout um which don't i think they it's usually val kilmer and his portrayal of it but there's that. Um, it's mostly just for Pacino and uh, De Niro, man. I mean, just the, I don't know. It's it, it's the the way that they both portray their characters, how different they are, and these two forces coming together that you're just like, how is this going to turn out? Um, it's dark. It's gritty. It's got some... I mean, Pacino is like ridiculous, but also awesome. Um, and besides, like the fact that their dialogue together in one scene is so quotable, like the whole exchange. Um, I think ultimately, I just like the fact that Michael Mann and some of his films, like when you hear guns go off, if you feel like you are in a firefight, like it doesn't feel like they have tamped down the noise. Like if a gun goes off and it's like you feel that jolt in your body that, you know, stuff no one's talking over the you. gunshots. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no. like yeah. it's like proper sound. I don't know the way it's done. I mean, it's not so loud. It's like a Nolan film where you can't hear people talking over all the noise, but it's like you feel like you're in the action. And so I think that was very powerful. It's not it's not something that I see a lot of people do. It's always like the Hollywood version of what gunfire sounds like most of the time. So that's, that's cool. It. Yeah. Yeah, it'll well, be my I, first time watching this, so I'm excited. It's an annual watch for me, so thanks for giving me an uh, uh, excuse nice. to to pull it out of the uh, um, digital the pile. Um, there is a great like director's cut like that just came out in 4K. We can Whoa. talk off off mic, but it is worth uh, it's worth like no no added scenes. I think it's just like it was it's cleaned up a little bit. And uh, excitingly, there's a novel called Heat 2 that is now being developed into a uh, screenplay that I won't talk about because it would spoil some significant plot developments in, in Heat. But yeah, I, you know, Michael Mann's one of those guys that like has come to prominence like more and more like over the like last decade or so. I always love Collateral. And I'm glad mm -hmm. to see that movie kind of yes. starting to get its due. Um, yes. But uh, Heat in particular, I always had like a very, very like big soft spot for as both an action and crime movie, but also like it's a great study in like how to shoot stuff and that cafe scene in particular. So when you get to it, May De Niro and Pacino in the cafe. Oh, there's a young Natalie Portman. She's part of the uh, ensemble, too. Very young. Yep. Nice. So, very excited. All right. And that about wraps her up. All does her. Um, to quote the big Lebowski one more time uh, before the podcast is over. You can find us on, you know what? I'm going to call it Twitter. You can find us on Twitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> at Screen Quest Pod, uh, where the coward Elon Musk will not get into a cage <laughs> with the other social media guy. 
and uh, we do love and appreciate all the support you can continue to submit your nominations i will include that in the episode description i think i forgot to do it last week that's all right you can find it in most episodes of the last couple of months we will be bringing back scream quest uh for the month of october more to come on that a little later and until next week we love you Bye. Bye bye guys.